Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the eastern border. Well, the build, again, kept me up all night, but not because of the reasons that you might think, really. It's because, once again, there's a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of misreporting all over the place. As, as usual, you know. <laughs> Apparently, build have reported that uh, the German armed, German armed forces are preparing for a potential hybrid attack by Russia on NATO's eastern flank this February. And um, if a secret Bundeswehr document, as, as they claim in their sources, is to be believed, which they prefer there, and build as a kind of a serious newspaper still, but um, yeah, secret Bundeswehr document, then um, an escalation is expected as early as February. And the confidential document apparently details how a conflict between Russia and NATO might arise with events unfolding and all this stuff. The culmination involves deployment of hundreds of thousands of NATO soldiers at the start of the war in the summer of 2025. The Builds uh, builds a scenario for war that basically focuses on security and avoids specifics regarding the number and movement of NATO troops. The Bundeswehr's Defense Alliance 2023 scenario predicts that Russian mobilization will begin in February 2024, followed by a spring offensive in Ukraine and an attack on Baltic countries, that's where I live, by the way, um, in, in, in Riga, Latvia, hello there, in July. Cyber attacks and other forms of hybrid warfare are expected. And uh, apparently, tensions could peak in October, with Russia moving troops and missiles to Kaliningrad. And then, um, I quote here, border conflicts and unrests with numerous casualties are possible in the Svalky Corridor, which is the corridor between the Belarus and Kaliningrad, which is about on the Polish-Lithuanian border in December 2024. And uh, Bild claims that Russia could repeat its 2014 invasion of Ukraine on NATO territory with Belarusian support. And apparently the scenario ends uh, in 30 days after D-Day when NATO, including Bundeswehr, deploys forces to the eastern flank. However, they don't know if they would be able to contain NATO, contain Russia, all that stuff. Okay, I was worried. Because Zelensky himself also mentions some... Um, some security threats, really. But I want to get this this through thoroughly, okay? We also have um, a person called Fabian Hoffmann, who has posted quite a lot on security, and he claims to be an, and he claims to be an expert or so, uh, I noticed from his tweets. He is a PhD student at the University of Oslo, and his projects are defense policy, missile technology, and nuclear technology. You know, that's what he says on his Twitter. Again, claims to be an expert. I, uh, you know, being a PhD student, no, no thing or two about that. But this is what, what this guy uh, says. And I'm talking about this now because this is posted to me on Discord. And this kind of flies into everything else. But first of all, don't panic. Don't panic. I'll, I'll start with the fact that um, what Bill says, uh, I give it about 10 percent chances of happening at this point less even but uh, i'll get to why however what fabian says is something that um you should really take care of. and this is going to be a thread of his from twitter after which i'll comment it and add some criticisms and then we'll get to some more interesting news which are also kind of noted if if we are to understand why i think that this is quite Quite unlikely, and why everyone should, again, calm down a bit. And I'll quote Fabian here. Quote, 
In this thread, I will explain why we are much closer to war with, Ru with Russia than most people realize, and why our time window for rearmament is shorter than many believe. In my opinion, we have at best two, three years to re-establish deterrence vis-a-vis -vis Russia. Here is why. Well, okay, he gives us two, three years. One common mistake in analyzing the threat posed by Russia is failing in, falling into the trap of mirror imaging. This means assuming that Russia views a potential conflict with us in the same way we view a potential conflict with them. Nothing could be further from the truth. Here he is utterly correct, but you know, if you're listening to the show for any amount of time, you know that already. In addition, it's important to be cautious about ex extrapolating too many lessons from Ukraine and assuming that a war with Russia would unfold in a similar manner, albeit on a larger scale. In reality, a war between NATO and Russia would likely take on a different form altogether. Uh, yeah, mm, total NATO air superiority and, um, well, just missiles and everything. It's just it, what? Confusing, but, but still going on. I'm just I'm just quoting Fabian because, again, it was posted on Discord and I looked at other expert opinions on this and there's going to be quite a lot of so-called experts on Twitter all over the place and I just think that this guy kind of represents uh, what you probably see there. I won't call it X, by the way. Quote, Russia does not plan for the type of large-scale conventional war with NATO that we are currently seeing in Ukraine and for which we are primarily preparing. Already before taking substantial losses on the Ukrainian battlefield, Russia knew it would be inferior in such a scenario. That is true. Russian thinking on a war with NATO involves around the concept of escalation control and escalation management. Russia's primary objective in a war with NATO is to effectively manage escalation and bring the war to an early end on terms that are favorable to Russia. That would be um, quite true, by the way. That, that's the ideal scenario, which is what Igor Girkin have been, has been saying all the time. And I think which Putin believed um, like, would happen. But getting on. Terminating hostilities early is necessary, given that Russia must secure a victorious outcome before NATO's conventional superiority comes to bear, most notably that of the United States. Two key concepts play a crucial role, de-escalation strikes and aggressive sanctuarization. Rather than completely comprehensively defeating NATO in a prolonged ground war similar to what we see in Ukraine, Russian doctrine suggests that Russia would attempt to coerce NATO into submission by signaling the ability to inflict progressively greater amounts of damage. This would entail, in particular, long-range strikes against critical civilian infrastructure across European NATO countries early on. The message to NATO governments, don't come to the support of your Eastern European allies unless you want to see your population suffer. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's probably what they would do. They would just, you know, gobble us up from the Suvalki Pass and then just, um, they would hope that no one comes to our aid. Carrying on. Simultaneously, Russia would extend its nuclear umbrella over any NATO territory it managed to capture in initial assault. This sends a, sec a second message. Any endeavor to retake the territory, particularly by external NATO forces, will result in nuclear escalation. This is bullshit, but I'll tell you why. <coughs> I'll tell you why. Okay, uh, I'll, just, I'll just finish this one. N note that any nuclear threats from Russia's part is, is utter nonsense. The psychological fear of escalation, which may ultimately result in unacceptable damage, is supposed to open door for negotiations about the future of NATO and the security architecture in Europe, of course on Russia's terms. This type of warfighting scenario is not a contest of forces, but primarily a risk-taking competition. The question becomes, who will be the first to back down when confronted with the prospect of a large-scale war, including potential exchanges of strategic nuclear warheads? Ah, you see, this is the thing, this is the thing, um... 
Mr. Fabian, and I hope that you're listening, and every other West, uh, expert who, who is now claiming that this is going to come down to staring in the faces of everything, yeah, Putin will back down first, obviously. I mean, he backed down and, and had to panic and negotiate when 5,000 Pagosian soldiers marched straight to Moscow and no one stopped them, basically. Sure, he betrayed him later on, but we have now seen clearly that Putin backs down because he is a coward. He's not some super strong hardcore tactician. He will back down easily. We have evidence on this situation. He is not Igor Girkin, who wouldn't back down. Igor Girkin sits in prison. Putin always backs down. Just, just saying. But I'm going to get to these mistakes of, of these guys later on. As Cold War historians know, carrying on from this thread, the balance of military power is not deterministic of the outcomes in risk-taking competitions. Instead, they are often determined by the balance of resolve, i.e. the relative willingness to remain steadfast even as, even as risks are increasing. This is why Russia pursues this type of strategy. Russia does not need to match NATO's conventional power. As long as NATO gives in first amid mounting psychological pressure due to a lack of resolve, Russia can walk away with victory. Here's the thing. The ongoing war in Ukraine is teaching Russia a crucial lesson, that the West lacks resolve. Domestic disunity and the endless discussions about escalation only reinforce Russia's belief that NATO will back down when push comes to shove. Question number one, what domestic disunity, uh, have you, Mr. Fabian, have you seen domestic disunity inside of Russia? But I'll, again, I'll get to this onwards because this quite probably in response to build will tie on together. We're going to have a huge panic. I was a bit worried, but still, that was just crazy. He, uh, the thing is, he's on my side too, by the way. This guy is just kind of sort of trying to poke everyone into action. I'm just thinking that he's... Uh, uh, he's he's good at what he does, but I'm, I'm not thinking he's exactly correct. Quote, That means Russia does not have to wait until its conventional power is reconstituted. Scenarios where we have 5-10 years to rearm following the end of the war are way too optimistic, in my opinion. I am in, with Eastern European states that we have at best 2-3 years from today to re-establish a credible deterrence posture. Otherwise, we run the grave risk that Russia is going to challenge us sooner rather than later. Russia must credibly deny Russia the ability to seize any substantial part of NATO territory or to threaten strikes against NATO critical infrastructure. This is needed to escape the coercive conundrum that an aggressive sanctuarization and de-escalation strikes pose. We must also have a serious discussion not only about how to deter a war with Russia, but also about how to fight one. Are we prepared to retaliate against Russian critical uh, civilian infrastructure in case Russia strikes our, ours first? How do we react to Russian nuclear first use? Our lack of preparedness, both in the physical space but also in terms of our cognitive ability to think through these scenarios, is encouraging Russia. Since 2014, Russian intellectuals, I, I like how he mentions Russian intellectuals but doesn't really mention which ones, but it doesn't matter really, have debated extensively and publicly how to win a war against NATO. That is our debate. Um, I, don't think, I don't think you can call Girkin a Russian intellectual, to be honest. No, seriously, I don't know whom you mean. Dugin, Girkin, Maxim Kalashnikov. Yeah, they have been debating, but right now they're in prison and they're not intellectuals. But oh man, Fabian, Fabian, dude, I really hope you listen to me. You're you're cool, but you should really listen to this show. Maxner, please poke him at, at this. What we need, especially in Europe, is a whole-of-society effort to get our affairs in order. There's no denying that this will come with a significant cost, but I fail to see any other viable option. Considering worst-case scenarios as we should, time has already run out. Um, first of all, first of all, um, this together with the previous one that uh, apparently everyone's now scared of Russia's uh, cyber attacks and, and everything escalating. Um, 
first things first. Okay. Uh, as I was also told on Discord and when I read the whole document thing, it makes sense. You know, it's, it's probably just a trading document. We, we all, all governments have trading documents with possible scenarios. I'm pretty sure Canada has a plan on, on how to defend against the United States as well. Or, or what could happen in the worst case scenario. That, that's number one. Okay. Secondly, uh, I just noticed putting this together with that one is just the West thinks that there are some sort of two rushes. No, I mean, seriously, this just proves that the West, for some reason, thinks that uh, there are just two Russias going on. That, that there is one Russia fighting Ukraine, and that there is a second Russia who is going to be some, some sort of super strong, super competent, and well, well better armed Russia that is going to go and fight uh, against Europe somehow. That is, the, that is the main area here. I mean, I'm sorry, but, but with what weapons? With, with what Russia is already throwing everything they've got at Ukraine, and they're stalling there. And they have issues with mobilization, which they cannot do. If you listen to my previous episode, you'll know that any idea of mobilization in February... Look, um, I'm ready to put my money where my mouth is. Um, I don't know. Um, anyone want to bet? Russia is not going to mobilize anyone like in a sense of mobilization in February at all. Because there's election time coming, coming, and this is just bizarre. And again, what? They're throwing everything already at at uh, at Ukrainians. They do not have neither the manpower nor nor anything else to get into other war with NATO. I mean, Putin is dumb, but uh, his generals, although although their corruption rate is apparently seventy percent at uh, up to even eighty five percent in some cases, and Depending on the the governmental structure unit, you know the governmental organization in Russia. It's still, you know, there are people who um, do some things there, which is just insane. But now, now let me let me just let me just uh, repeat this again. I, I also was a bit panicky because Zelensky said that um, Zelensky said that the Baltics should be worried about our security. Yes, we are, and there is a massive uh, panic about you know how how we could actually fight. If there would be such a need, there's always, in, at least in the Baltics, the very real attitude towards how, how you know, we might one day have to face Russia. But again, uh, again, I I don't see what Russia can like invade anyone right now. With what? Where the where where are they going to take the tanks from? The fact that the West needs to kind of reconfigure themselves, have a conversation, and everything. Yeah, that's true. But not after the war ends in Ukraine, right now, when the war is going on, as to, as to help it. <laughs> Meanwhile, by the way, to, to explain why no mobilization is happening is the fact that Russia is just doing its usual stuff. Uh, see, there is an organization which is sort of um, one for uh, Russia. It's called Russia Behind Bars. And it's, um, it's some sort of a prison humanitarian organization. I don't really know really what's what's happening. I don't know what that organization is, but that's one of those human uh, rights things which are like looking at the rights of the incarcerated. And on Saturday, Olga Romanova, uh, the head of this organization, said that authorities apparently are turning off the heating in prisons in sub-zero temperatures to make, condi make conditions so unbearable that inmates would agree to go fight in Ukraine. She also said that prisoners, along with ethnic minorities and new Russian citizens, which are like migrants from Central Asia, uh, like little sympathy from fellow Russians, and apparently, as long as these three groups are fighting and dying in Ukraine, 
Putin can create illusion of, of normalcy for the rest. Putin wants a illusion of normalcy for everyone else, and he does not want to. He does not want to do anything uh, with mobilization, which would create massive troubles for him. Besides, cutting off uh, heating to prisons means that, um, yeah, maybe maybe that will kind of put put down the pressure on everywhere else. Because again, in larger cities in in Russia, the heating is super centralized, so they have to exchange pipes. By the way, I under I found out the number one way how they actually you know why these pipes are exploding and why there is all all this uh, cold and why nothing works there. Apparently, you know, as all the heating is centralized and state-owned, government-owned, if you are a little kind of a governmental organizer of these pipes, you basically dig them out in one section of your kind of, you know, city dis- city municipality, you know, part of the city. And then you kind of uh, rub off the rust a bit write them off as, as you know, oh, those are dead pipes, but you basically rub off the rust, uh, apply, apply a new co- kind of coating of paint, and put them in uh, as new pipes in the other side of your district where you're responsible for. And then you just pocket the money for, you know, buying new pipes. Because uh, if, you, if you look at uh, where the pipes burst in St. Petersburg and all the surrounding regions and in Moscow and everywhere, you will find out that this map is uh, 95% coincides... Uh, with the map of recent fixes. Okay, so they're just moving old pipes around and they burst all the time anyways. So, with those pipes, with this cold, with with everything happening there, yeah, what's going to happen? Like, the the mothers of the mobilized, they're going to run away? Okay, build. um, I'm pretty sure you've just uh, pulled out something which is scary, but uh, I believe that can happen only if everyone has gone utterly and completely insane. Sure, that would be Okay, I guess at this point, but I just don't. I don't. I just don't believe that really at that point. I mean, Russia will never nuke anyone in the Baltic states because too many Russians live here. That's one. Uh, Putin will instantly be dead because that's just stupid. That's the same as nuking Ukraine, which he hasn't done, and he would have if he could. And they're just idiotic. Secondly, another thing which which is still going on, apparently. Well, uh, for example, more than 20 Finnish companies are supplying Russia with military goods, which is reported by the Finnish news agency ILE after studying customs documents. According to them, the companies are small-scale logistics and freight forwarding firms owned by individuals with Russian backgrounds. The companies' names have not yet been released since they don't hold significant economic power and their owners haven't been convicted of crimes. Apparently, we're, we're talking about shipped sensors, diesel engines, fuel pumps, transmission equipment, all that stuff. So, the companies in question either exported goods directly to Russia or acted as intermediaries. Goods from Finland were sent also to, through other countries, such as Uzbekistan, also allowing Russia to circumvent sanctions. Okay, so now, now, now let's say um, that Russia attacks the Baltics. Finland is a NATO country right now, okay? And Finland would also be at war with Russia, and unlike the United States, they're there. And I don't think that any attack on the Baltics would happen without poking the Finnish as well. But with what? With, with stuff that they now need from these Finnish companies? Well, the fact that they're like literally removing uh, their own like anti-air defenses from Finnish border and everywhere and just we have seen that their material is moving away. If they were planning for anything, they'd be moving like stuff towards the borders where they would want to attack. 
Because seriously, this is the thing. This is why the attack on Ukraine was so predictable. They had a large-scale training with massive, massive amounts of troops on the Ukrainian border very shortly before the attack began. Cyber warfare, do that for used to. I'm suffering through a lot of you know weird cyber attacks myself often, and this stuff happens. But until I see a whole concentration of forces somewhere nearby Svalky Pass, which we would know because you know NATO has a much better infrastructure of, of satellites there than Russia has, no. Or unless something goes completely insane. I don't know, Zhirinovsky might win uh, the election somehow, and then... Uh, then just basically he's going to go crazy. He's just going to be stupid if some like if 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 someone is as, as dumb as to actually start a massive conflict with NATO, then you know at that point everything's just going to be extremely stupid. Meanwhile, by the way, to explain the again the internal situation inside of Russia why this whole thing would be completely uh, unpopular. Um, quote, residents of Russia's Republic of Bashkorostan, which is, by the way, one of those people where one of those republics where Bashkirs live, where Russians are an ethnic minority, which are very much um, unsatisfied, so to speak, with the direct rule from Moscow. Yeah, they held a major protest in Monday in support of um, Fail Alsinov. Fail? I don't know. <laughs> An activist facing charges of inciting ethnic hatred. The rally took place in the city of Baimak, where a local court was hearing closing arguments in his case. Protesters began gathering outside of the court building at around 8.30 a.m., as the local opposition telegram channel Kushtao Bariam reported. And apparently, according to that channel, all available law enforcement units were sent to Baimak ahead of protest, and authorities checked individual documents as they drove into the city. Apparently, um, apparently we say that, we can see that there's more than a thousand people, from thousand to five thousand people going on there, depending on your sources, when they're in protest. This was the largest uh, since the full-scale war in Ukraine. This has been insane. This is just crazy. In the speech to protesters, an unnamed activist called for Bashkoristan to be put under external rule, by the way, and for the republic's governor to be dismissed. And they just... They just want to basically send away their um, their governor because apparently, well, he is against the fact that people of Bashkorskan, the Bashkir people, have been sent disproportionately to die, and that uh, they're just everything is utterly, completely corrupt over there. So many people are coming out. And that's because these mothers, wives of the mobilized, are coming also out. And, uh, you know, they're they not getting arrested. And again, this is escalating. So everyone should just calm down. Just really. Unless, I, again, again, if, if Cyber Zhirinovsky wins this somehow, which he will not, which I can promise you, Cyber Zhirinovsky is not going to win anything. But unless he wins something really huge and, and some crazy madness happens. We're all not going to die here. It's just that there's more panic, and I think this whole panic situation, that's, that's the thing that helps Putin. It put me off even for a bit, but you should not, at any rate, allow Putin and Russian kind of uh, documents, which might as well be like PSYOPs or something, dictate what you do. Panic is the worst scenario either way, and like I said, if, if a war starts and they, uh, nukes are being dropped, then... 
you know, nothing you can do anyways. But I t- that's not going to happen at all. Because this, this is just uh, someone taking war exercises and not understanding what they're doing and more people who are experts. And this, th- this guy, he wasn't the only one. There's a lot of people out there just misunderstanding the fact that there are no two Russias. There's just one Russia that's fighting in, in Ukraine right now. And it's probably not going to come after us anyways. Well, <laughs> at least not if Ukraine wins, which is what we should be focusing on right now, helping out. So I hope that you help Ukraine as much as you can and that you donate. So yeah, до свидания, товарищи. And uh, well, I hope that this explained the situation to you a bit better. Haven't slept, had to do a lot of things because again, oh boy. I just feel how a new panic attack for everyone is going to start next day. It's going to be horrific. But uh, yeah. That again, again, who knows? But if I approach this from everything that I can, that I see, that I know, and that how it looks like, and that also analysts who are Russians but in opposition, the Ukrainians are saying, nah, I don't think so really. So you can sleep safely, help Ukraine win, and that everything's going to be fine. And if you like the show, then please consider supporting me on patreon.com slash border or clicking the donate button on theeasternborder.lv where you also can, you know, listen to the episodes without ads and all that stuff. Working still on that store, I have to get my all, all my artwork, artwork together. And again, thank you for uh, supporting the show. Oh, and please uh, join us on Discord. Links are like, I don't know, practically everywhere. So once again, до свидания, товарищи. And remember, Happiness is mandatory.